She's ridden a motorcycle for around 40 years. She worked as a police officer until retiring recently, some of those years as a motorcycle cop. She's done thousands of miles in and around Europe by motorcycle with her friends, and now in retirement is discovering a whole new world of motorcycle riding. Now, as she gets ready for her first solo trip, she's having to manage some fears that she's never known before. What makes this trip different? What could possibly go wrong? And how will this shape her new adventure coming up? Allie Peberty. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Bill Bergoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. John Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. My name is Alison. I'm from the UK and I'm presently retired, although I was a serving police officer for 30 years. Alison, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I feel very honoured. You go by Ali? Yeah, Ali, Al, Alison, when people want to tell me off. So when you hear Alison, you know, you really perk up and listen at that point. Yeah, I've done something wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk about your dad first, because I, I think he, he sort of has something to do with what's going on with you now. What was your dad like? Well, my dad was, um, he was the one that pushed me into riding motorbikes, in truth. Um as a child, I'd always been interested in two wheels, my pedal cycle. I, you know, you couldn't keep me off it. But when when I was in my early 20s, it was my dad that actually uh, sent me a message when I was overnight at a friend's house to say, if you don't get your application in for your bike license today, by, by the end of today, I would then have to go on and do a two-part a new license that they were putting in place, which was far more involved doing more written work and riding around cones and things. Whereas the old style test was very simple. You literally rode around four roads in a square. And at one point, um, the instructor would or the examiner would jump out in front of you. And that was your emergency stop. It was very simplistic. And dad said, get your application in now. And then you don't have to do the more intricate one, the two part test. Mm. So he, he, he was the one that pushed me into taking my license, in fairness. Why did you want to get your license? Well, I've always liked motorbikes. The bo- I had a boyfriend at the time. I to jump on the back of his. Dad was a big motorcyclist and always had been. Um, and I think, yes, I would say that they, they'd always interested me. Anything on two wheels had always interested me. So it just hadn't occurred to me to take my own license, but I'm really glad that dad made me take that step. 
What about your mum? Was she a rider? Do you know what? She was absolutely fine with it because they both rode. Um, and of course, in their days, on in the 1940s and 50s, there was no traffic on the road. And I think maybe their perspective of riding a motorbike was slightly different to um, people who don't know anything about it and who think it's dangerous. So she just encouraged me too. So both parents were just sort of, you know, go for it. You got your cycling proficiency test. You, you passed this test at 10. What, what is that? Well, that was that. That's something that the schools encouraged uh, in in that era, which would be where are we? In 1968, um, in the 60s, I suppose, and it was to encourage children to ride their pedal cycles safely on the roads. So, um, so it was a test that they did. And in fairness, it wasn't dissimilar to hit the bike test in terms of you would ride around a few roads, and there'd be a person with a clipboard standing on the corner and and watching how you do, and then they'd give you a mark at the end of it. And I did mine at the age of ten, and to my absolute amazement, I actually got a hundred percent, which absolutely thrilled me, of course. Wow. So, I, so I guess that's where my my two wheel um, career started. Did you get a hundred percent in your motorcycle test as well? Um, I can't remember i can't remember how they were marked at the 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 civilian bike test uh, you know the department of transport bike test i did manage to get a class one police advanced which you know that's that's pretty good i'm quite happy with that why did you become a police officer well interestingly um i wanted to go on the horses i wanted to go on the mounted section um, because my father's dental nurse, he was a dentist and he had a dental nurse who uh, who had a contact in the Greater Manchester Police uh, in the mounted section. And I was a massive fan of horses. So she took me down there one day and introduced me to the then only female police uh, mounted lady. And I ended up having a chat with her. And as a result of that, I came home and said to mum and dad, I want to go in the police. Um, I was 18 at the time and coming to the end of my education and I literally didn't know what I wanted to do. So suddenly I made this decision. The The funny thing about that is that I did subsequently join, but once I joined, I was stationed uh, where there was a traffic department and uh, I was privy to watching these patrol cars going in and out and I used to see these Ford Capris and Rovers, 3.5 litre engines and all this lovely throbby noises. And I sort of saw these cars and I thought, oh, I don't want to go on the horses. I want to drive those cars. <laughs> so the horsepower changed from four legged to four wheeled. And that became my aspiration. Um, and, uh, and subsequently, I did end up going on to the traffic department driving the police cars. Joining the police force because you wanted to ride the horse. A horse. I mean, that's like that's like <laughs> Terrible, becoming a sailor to sail around the world because you like working with ropes. It's like there's not much or of a connection like there. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> <No>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, I know it's crazy, isn't it? But I was only eighteen. I was a child. What do you know at that sort of an age? You know, you think you're grown up, but really you're not, are you? Yeah. You know. Where did you go in the police force? Um well with with so I, I, I specialised on the traffic department for four years and then, as I say, my father then got me to do my bike test. And having done the advanced police car course and realised just how much that course benefited you from a, a skills perspective, um, 
I, I, I think that people have a, a bit of a gene when it comes to driving cars and riding motorbikes. And some people have just this innate, inbuilt skill. Um, and I, my dad was like that. And I think I inherited a little bit of it from him. I, I had no it was it was always effortless driving cars or doing anything. And they, it always interested me. But I, I was staggered at um, how much I learned when I did the advanced car course because I thought, well, I'm competent. But actually, no, there's so much more to learn. And having had the benefit of the car course after I'd taken my police motorcycle civilian test, I thought to myself, if I want to stay alive on this bike, I need to be trained to the best standard I can. And to me, it seems sensible to apply for a police motorcycle course because I knew the standard of training was just, you know, top notch. Um, so that's why I ended up applying to, uh, to, to do that. But I was then told, well, if you want a police advance course, you've got to come off the cars and go onto the motorbikes, which I hadn't bargained on, but that's actually ended up what I, well, that's, that's what ended up happening. So you become a motorcycle cop. So then I became a motorcycle cop for six years. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. So, what, so what's uh, the course like? What? How difficult uh, is this? It's, it's... Mm, I don't know that it's difficult. I think, I mean, we started out, the, it was a five-week course, and the first week we were riding 175s. And then the second the second week we went on to uh, 400s, I think, this um, Honda Super Dream 400s. And then in week three, we went on to the CX500. And um, I don't know whether I should say this, but I'm going to, I can't even find any wood to touch, but that's the only time I've thrown a bike up the road. And it was on my training course on the CX500. Mm. Um, and it was, uh, we were, we were training in October, so it was cold. It was clear blue skies, sunny, but that watery light, you know, you know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were going up this, this stretch of road called Woodhead Pass. Um, and it was probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. The roads were damp. The sun was sort of kind of in your eye, but it was all right. And I'd come around this left-hand bend and I was leading with the instructor immediately behind me, which was lucky because that meant he saw everything that happened. And then there was two other trainee riders behind him. And as we came around this left-hand bend, quite normally, normal speed, nothing excessive, nothing wrong. One minute I was upright and the next minute the bike literally went horizontal and skid away from me up the road and I was also on the road and I wasn't hurt it was it was fine but of course it was like well what on earth happened there and the instructor said to me afterwards um his immediate thoughts was well what on earth has made it go down because there was no reason for that you know so he was immediately cautious it turned out there was a stream of diesel across the road which we couldn't see because of the sun oh wow so it just literally just took me out. And of course, the others, fortunately, I, I don't know, they didn't. But literally just my bike, the CX500, whizzed off at the road onto the opposite side of the carriageway. I stayed on the left. Um, a minute after, there was a coach coming down. So it could have been a different ending, but as it was, it was fine. And I think the one of the things I took away from it was I was a little bit encouraged that you could fall off a motorbike and not hurt yourself. I remember that thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't hurt myself, but it did affect my confidence. And, you know, it took me the rest of the course to bring myself to sort of start banking it over properly because I was just really wary, you know, on wet roads. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it would affect your confidence because in particular because you had no idea what was going on. It's one thing if you, you see something, you react and you do it wrong, you can sort of process that. But the surprise and then the, the thought process that it could be there tomorrow, next, you know, the next two minutes sort of thing again, 
That, that's... I think it's, it was then after that for me, it was any wet road. If I can go down on a wet road when nothing was obvious, well, then that means it can happen again. Uh, I mean, obviously, I have got it out of my system still now, but actually, it, it's still a true statement. You never know if you're on a wet road whether diesel's been spread across it or, or what have you, you know, unless mm. you can smell it or see it. So I guess it's it's one of those dark hazards that you can't cater for, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's true. I mean, you know, even today, nothing's changed with that, although the, now there's less oil and fuel on the road than there was at least in Western countries than there was back then. Yeah. Um, and it may be that now with, with obviously 40 odd years of biking experience under my belt, if I'm riding on a, on a road now, it's second nature to keep an eye on, on the road surface. You know, if you've been on a road or you're traveling on a road where there are, you know, a lot of heavy goods vehicles and you kind of keep an eye out for that now. Mm -hmm. Not that I find myself on those main roads terribly often in white rows, but you do just, that's just experience, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So after the CX 500, we then had to ride the 750. That was week four. And then week five, it was the, the R8, the BMW. And for me to be able to progress and finish the course, I had to prove that I could put them on the side stands, these big bikes. And if I couldn't, obviously I couldn't have carried on. So, um, yeah, but as we know, that's technique, isn't it? And, and I was able to master that. So I was able to complete the course. And as I say, I, I, I got a, a distinction with a pass with distinction. So that was really good. Um, and I think because I cut my teeth on big bikes, that's why they've never really phased me too much because I've always had to approach my riding in a very measured way and probably take far more into consideration than men or anyone with strength because I know that I haven't got the strength to hold the bike if something should, you know, if you literally put your foot wrong, as you know, step on a stone and it skids away from you, the bike could go down. Every, everything I've had to t always take into consideration, cambers, how I turn and stuff like that. And so since it's been like that since day dot, I don't know any difference. So it, I just sort of, it's just how it is for me now. Do you think that makes you a better rider? I don't know whether it makes me a better rider, but I pr it probably means I'm more I am aware. I am an aware rider, mm -hmm. I would say. Yes. Yeah. That's what I often yeah. think. If you have to think more about those sorts of things, it's going to make you more aware, maybe a better rider because you're, you're, you're paying more attention to those nuances only because you have to, because you're forced to. Whereas other, yeah. other people, you know, that are taller or stronger may not have to worry about it so much. Exactly. I mean, I have, I, I, I now, courtesy of your radio show, um, find myself oh, wishing I could wind the clock back and wishing that I could, as a younger person, go on these training courses and become more skilled in areas of riding that I'm not. I'm fine riding a bike on a road on tarmac. Um, you know, I, I'm as competent as the next person, but I never really did any off-road skills or, or, or never needed to, never needed to. Um, but... I watch these YouTube videos of, of women specifically because, of course, I'm pitching myself against them, if you will, um, and seeing what they can do. And I think to myself, if I'd have had that training, I could have ridden like that. And I wouldn't be the one tippy-toeing around doing a tight, slow turn in a car park carefully. You know, I'd be like, uh, is it Jocelyn Snow? That mm -hmm. is it? Yeah, she's a tiny little thing, five foot one or something, and she chucks a GSA around like for fun, you know. Um, but, you know, equally, I also accept my limitations and I didn't do that. So I just do it how I do it, you know. What's the, the limitations as far as you going and, and doing a course now? Um, 
Well, I have I have considered doing the BMW do a, a, a course over here, and I did explore it earlier on in the year, and all the courses up to September were booked. So for me at that point, it was, mm, I want to do a, a tour this year, and that took priority. Um, although it is something that I still could do. It's a finding the time and I suppose um, digging deep into the pockets, I guess. Uh, nothing to do with age? You, you're not thinking that there's limitations well, with age? and Well, as you, as you know, age, my age was a thing that was holding me back earlier at the beginning of this year. And those were things that were all casting, casting doubt in my mind as to what I could and couldn't do. But again, as a result of listening to your podcast, your radio shows, and all the different people that you've interviewed, male and female, and listening to their stories and listening to some of the things they've overcome. And it kind of made me take a step back and think, you know, Alison, telling myself off there, you see, Alison, <laughs> what are you, uh, you know, what are you playing at here? You know, you are a seasoned competent, intuitive rider and have been for 40 years. What is wrong with you? Of course you can do all this stuff. And I kind of gave myself a kick up the derriere and, and thought, right, oh, come on, get a grip and started to steel myself into believing in myself again. But as I say, it is definitely been influenced by listening to Raw, the guys around the table and the people you've interviewed, women, men alike, you know, and some of the stories are just nothing short of amazing. So I've been inspired, I guess. The, the thing is with, with age, I mean, there's some stuff we can't get away from. Mobility, you, you tend to lose some mobility. You, you can't stretch and twist. And, and that's just something that we all will experience. The other thing is, is the fragility. You, you know, there's always that concern as we get older about the bones, everybody says it, you know, the bones become more brittle. So if you make a mistake, the cost can be, can be much, much higher for a mistake. They, they do. And, and obviously for me, strength, because, um, I've always been fit. I've always looked after myself. I've always kept my weight off. I'm agile. I can chuck my leg over the the bike and embarrass all the chaps, you know, seeing them stiffly creaking on. And I just literally throw my leg over right over the top, even if I've got luggage on the back, you know. Um, so I'm very agile in that respect. But I'm aware of my failing strength now with age. Uh, it's inevitable. Um, arthritis in my thumbs. Literally only yesterday, I had two ultrasound guided steroid injections in the joints on my left thumb because um, I have arthritis in those joints now, which when I'm riding my bike have, have become extremely painful. And I was so lucky that I literally managed to get to get this done now before I go away. Um, because with, with frequent use of the clutch, it just becomes, oh, excruciating. So that's age, that's arthritis. But then it's about managing it. And because I've always had to manage pain in one way, shape or form, because I've always had knees that were shot, um, just a, a, a genetic, generic thing for me. Um, but when I've been skiing, I've always had to take painkillers. Otherwise, I couldn't ski because of the pain in my knees. I have a lower back issue. And again, with certain sports, if I want to be able to do them, I have to manage the pain. So I've always worked with that rather than letting it stop me from doing things. I thought, well, okay, well, this is the pain. So how do I sort it? How can I make sure I can carry on doing things? So the only thing I can't control with that one, of course, with getting older is the brittle bones and the strength. 
And I think I might have mentioned in my uh, in a communication to you that I've broken both my hips in the last three or four years. No. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, that's because I engaged in it. I took up a very, very dangerous sport in 2013 and started riding in earnest a pedal cycle. Oh, they're so dangerous, those things. Jeez, I don't know. They are absolutely <laughs> lethal. And I have broke my right hip, just clipping a curb. And then I broke my left hip. I was going a little bit too fast and maybe it was ambition over ability or maybe it was just that the brakes on a pedal cycle aren't like the same on a motorbike and I never got around the bend. So that broke my left hip. That also injured my left shoulder. So since 2013 and 2019, I had collectively more injuries through cycling than I have ever had in my life. I was just thinking that you spent 40 years, 40 years riding a motorcycle. And some of those yeah. years you're doing it for a living in yes. one of the most demanding jobs. Yeah. And you, you hurt yourself twice on a bicycle. I know. Absolutely crazy, isn't it? That, that yeah. is, that is really crazy. But, but what am I thinking <laughs> about, about your limitations there? You know, you're saying that it's still strength and brittle bones you have to worry about. And obviously, cause I was thinking when I'm talking about brittle bones, I'm always thinking the hips are the worst thing for us as we get older. But I, I kind of went back to what you were saying earlier about your whole career of having to manage your lack of physical strength and size as a motorcyclist and certainly as, as a, um, a motorcyclist in the police force you had to manage that. And and so isn't that sort of what we have to do as we get older? Like, you know, if you were to take an off-road course, you have to realize that, okay, I'm not 18. I can't just be slammed to the ground and say, oh, okay, that was fun. You yes. just have to be more cautious there again, you know, being more aware yes. while you're doing this. Very, very much so. Yes, very much so. Um, and, and I would say it is only since, since I started cycling that that's been my first experience of realizing I, I hurt and break myself now when I fall, whereas prior to that, um, I always seemed to be very robust, you know, the spill they might have on the ski slopes and things like that. You know, I, I, I never had any breakages there, but yes, yeah, since, maybe since turning 60, perhaps that's when it all started. Who mm. knows? I think every <laughs> decade seems like that. <laughs> you yeah. get to that point, but, but you're about to go on a, on a trip right now. What about before? What, what sort of traveling have you done before? Well, I have I've been going into my own archives and, and recently, you know, in sort of preparation for this trip and reminding myself what I have done. And really, I, I started uh, traveling abroad when I was 40 or thereabouts, 2000, uh, 41, 42, 2000. And, uh, and after, from the very initial one, uh, it was just completely bitten by the bug of touring. That probably comes back from, again, from my childhood. My parents had a touring caravan. So they, as as, we were, as children, we were dragged all over Europe in a touring caravan. So even as, a, as a, a, a child or a young teenager, I'd been to many, many European countries. So for me to then go on a motorbike wasn't alarming to me at all because I'd already been there. But to go on a motorbike, ride on the wrong side of the road, you know, that was just exciting and and the whole thing about being abroad in Europe in a different country, it was it was just thrilling. And once I started, I just fitted as many tours in as I could. I call them tours, trips, holidays, because of course I'm working full time. So you're sort of uh, limited, limited in time wise, you know, what you can do. All by motorcycle. 
Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I've been probably, I mean, I've been all over, all over Western Europe. This impending trip will be my first time into Czech, uh, Slovenia, Croatia. Uh, prior to that, I'd never gone further afield than Austria, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Belgium, Luxembourg, Spain, Liechtenstein, Andorra, you know, that sort of group, France. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I, I, I have literally actually have done tens of thousands of miles in Europe already. And that was one of the things that I checked myself with when I was having my earlier doubts about doing this on my own. And I think that's the other thing with this particular trip that's coming up is the fact that I was, I was considering doing it on my own, whereas previously, with the exception of one, one trip, I'd always either had a pillion, a pal on my back, um, or um, riding with my sister-in-law, daughter-in-law, sorry, or my sister or, or a pal, you know, so I'd always had company. But but I have ridden many, many miles abroad already, yeah. And now this trip being a solo trip that you're planning on going on right now, you can't get anybody to ride because most of your friends are male and because you're yeah. this fit 60 some odd year old that <laughs> <laughs> the wives yeah. won't let them go. Yeah, I don't know. It's crackers, isn't it? Yeah, women, what are they like? Yeah, it's, crazy. Um, <laughs> it's just, I am literally, Jim, the wrong gender. Uh, I've got guys that I can ride with, but I, I'm afraid. Uh, is it a fact of life, single woman, I'm seen as a threat, even though I'm not? Um, so it makes it a bit difficult for me. So I, I just decided if I want to do this, I have got to go on my own. Initially, it was something that I, I couldn't envisage at all, but I'm going to chuck it back at your radio show again and just listening to everything and, and the YouTube apps, you know, and all the things, uh, the videos of the women doing it. It just made me just think, you know, come on, Alison, grow up hair. See, I'm telling myself off again. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just thought, come on, you can do this, you can do this. And, and I just got more determined about it. And one day... Couple of, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I just thought, right, and I booked myself a one-way ticket to Europe on the ferry. And that's your push right there. I mean, that, that is the way to do it, isn't it? To, to make some sort of commitment. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, I just decided one day, just do it. Choose a date, book a ferry, book your first night's hotel, and then see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's nothing more motivating. I, I, and I think there's something about motion. You know, it's, it's, it's like the, the laws of physics. Once you start in motion, things happen. And you either do something like that, either either plan something, book something where you've actually put out some money and it's going to be difficult to turn back, or you make the public declaration. You start telling everyone, I'm doing this. And then you're going to look kind of foolish if you if you don't yeah, end up doing it. Yeah, and, and that's been covered by, in, in a number of your shows that, you know, that that is one way to get yourself going by telling people and then you feel you can't back out. Mm-hmm. I, I had tried to do this in 2018 and uh, and I'd actually been pondering over going to Spain on my own. I got a number of friends who actually have houses over there and, and spend time out there. And I thought, well, I could go and visit them. That would, that would you know, wouldn't be too bad. And another friend of mine encouraged me to do it because, again, I had doubts. But um, I was encouraged to do it. So I did actually go as far as booking everything for that trip, only on this occasion, because it was pre-me listening to Adventure Radio, Radio Raw, and all the other ones. And I hadn't got wised up to not booking it now, not, not booking it advanced, do you know what I mean? So I had actually booked hotels uh, and plotted my sort of three-week tour. And then six weeks before I was due to go, I had my second accident and broke my hip, so I had to cancel the whole thing. Oh, wow. And did you lose money on that, on the cancellations? Only only the um, 
only the excess because I was insured. So I got everything back bar 100 quid of the excess. Oh, excellent, All excellent. the hotels have been booking.com. So they were okay. I could cancel those. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, but obviously it was massively disapointing because I had psyched myself up and all the people I was going to go and stay with and visit, you know, they got the dates when I was going to roll up and, and then it just didn't happen. And then of course the following year I had to have the shoulder operated on as a result of the injury the year before. And then we rolled forward into COVID. So it just kind of hasn't happened since then. When that happened, when you had the accident on that super dangerous bicycle, (laughs) was there a tinge of relief? that you were cancelling the trip? No, no, actually none at all because by, by then I'd, I, I was committed. I was, I was actually trying to work out, it takes six weeks for a bone. Is there any chance I could possibly go? Uh, um, and the hospital said, you, you can't because following six weeks, you've then got to do physio. And I knew it was n- unrealistic, but no, I was really, really gutted. I really was. I'm just wondering where from that point to recently, where, where did you lose your nerve again? Um, I think it's because the last 12 months I've been riding, um, in company with a couple of guys and, um, I think I've possibly come a little bit complacent or became a little bit complacent and uh, sort of settled into feeling comfortable in the company of knowing I got a a man with me. It doesn't matter if I get him into a, a bit of a any, any incident or trouble because they're there, you know, to help me out and this sort of thing. And um, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I just think I was lulled into this false sense of security. And then when, of course, th- these particular chaps who are, I'm thinking about couldn't couldn't join me on any of these trips and, and the, the prospect of doing this on my own, I started thinking, well, why? well, you know, that's when all the doubts started. I'm thinking, well, I can't cope on my own. What will happen, you know? And I really did need a kick up the backside. I really did. Um, But yeah, I did. And again, is it just getting older? We get older and we just have more doubts. What if we think things, we overthink things. And that was something else I have stopped myself doing in the last couple of months. If I found myself thinking negatively about anything, I've just said, stop overthinking it. Stop overthinking it. And and don't let myself carry on thinking whatever it was I might have been thinking, you know. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've interviewed women who've traveled, lots of lots of women who've traveled. And sometimes what I hear when I ask about, is it difficult traveling as a woman alone? As a matter of fact, I think almost all the time I get sort of a, actually, no, I think it's a little bit of an advantage because what I'm told often happens is when they come into a place, they don't know where they're going. People want to take care of them because they see this woman on their own and they think, you know, well, she, she must need help or, or I would like to help her for whatever the reason. Um, <laughs> yes. They help her. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's not sort of something you might experience as an older person as well, male or female. I mean, as we become yeah. older, we have, we're, we're less threat. Yes, I, I think you're probably right. And I did hmm, one, two, three, four, five trips with um, a female pillion on the back. Uh, brave, brave girlfriends who had absolute faith in me, uh, who, you know, gamefully jumped on my pillion and did some fairly significant tours with me. And uh, n- at no stage did either, which, whoever they were, one was a policewoman friend of mine, another was who wasn't a police, but she worked as a support staff in the police, but um, capable women, if you will. Uh, and we, at no point did we ever think twice about what we were doing. 
just didn't enter our heads. But again, we were younger. Um, so maybe that played a part. But you're absolutely right. It, um, the, the, being a female, men often will want to help you. But equally, I also find, certainly in the UK, that sometimes I can go out for a ride out on my own and I can pull in a, a cafe or something where there's lots of male bikers and they're all, you know, all around and none of them will come and speak to you. Mm. Because they're afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've not got my police outfit on. <laughs> no, but I'm thinking they don't. They don't know how to approach you. You know, they they don't. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of cultural things here as well, and, and I don't. I don't. I don't think I know the answer to this this dilemma at all. But I I can see that um, they wouldn't know how to approach. They don't know what to say. And then are you go, going to think there's some other reason they're approaching? You know, mm-hmm. is, is there mm-hmm. there issues there? And and of course, there's always something about being the odd one out, isn't there? When you arrive somewhere when you see a group of people as a matter of fact just arriving somewhere i always notice this that when you arrive the people who have already just arrived before you somehow feel more comfortable than the person that's, oh, yes. that's arriving so there's, oh, yes. there's something about that newness coming in i will jim i will often ride past um cafes and things if if i, I can go on a ride out and, and it might be that I, I would like to stop and have a coffee and i roll into one of our beautiful little villages that we've got up here in the north that just exceptional and and you can see there's a coffee shop or a, a green and there's all these bikes all parked up and i'll ride in and i'm desperate to stop and i would love to and i take one look at all this gaggle of male motorcyclists and think eek oh i can't stop i didn't and i'll carry on riding you know because i just fear what might happen you know could I put a foot wrong oh you know shock and horror um but but i've recently again i think i've got this newfound courage i've been making myself stop at places and 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 again probably to the shock and horror of these individuals that are sitting down i've gone up to them and spoken to them and said hello with a big smile on my face and they almost looked absolutely horrified but, and did um, anything bad ever happen? Did anyone ever tell you to get lost and why are you no talking to me? To get, no, I think they were a little bit stunned, to be honest. That's, to be honest, the bikers never really tried to engage with me. But but would you believe, um, in my mind's eye now, I'm visualising one place when it was a, a lovely country green in, in this lovely village. And actually, people who were in the pub sitting on benches, they came up to speak to me. They were more interested in me and my bike. Wow, look at you riding that bike, you know. Um, I even got uh, uh, three people came over and one of them was 83, an 83-year-old lady. And she said, oh, gosh, what a lovely, lovely bike. And I said, would you like to hop on? Can I? I said, yes, if you can get your leg over. She said, well, can we try? So I helped this 83-year-old lady swing her leg over my bike. And whilst her son and daughter-in-law watched on saying, oh, mother, you know. But um, it was <laughs> <Be> lovely. <careful. laughs> yeah, great. and I've got this great photograph of this lovely old lady sort of thoroughly enjoying herself. And But as I say, it's almost like um, other people are more interested, which may be what you were saying about an older person, female, there's, wow, look at you. That's interesting. You know, so well, yeah. Well, what's your story? Yes. And riding a very pretty big bike as well, because it is, it is pretty, isn't it? White, red, blue with gold wheels. It is pretty. What bike is it? Is it 1150? 1250. The 1250. The yeah. Nice bike. Yes, definitely. And, and you, I know you, you love those BMWs now. I guess I ever, do. ever since the R80, was it? Well, the R80 obviously introduced me to the, the Boxer engine. And, and yes, I, I got on tremendously with that because I rode it for at least four years. 
So, um, yes, the engine I, I grew to love and it became known to me. And then, of course, as as we all did, we saw that um, series with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman and uh, we all wanted to ride the 1150GS, didn't we? Well, I certainly did anyway. I just thought, oh, because touring touring cars or motorbikes had, had always been my thing, um, traveling, you know, not necessarily like a proper overlander, uh, proper in inverted commas, because I kind of think the people that go around the world, it's it's a, it's a different level. It's, it's, a, it's different. But at my level, um, you know, I, I just want to jump on a great big bike and be able to think I can go wherever I want because the machine's got the capability. But of course, once I did put myself in front of one of these things, these machines, I realised the folly of, of my thoughts because I couldn't even get the thing off the side stand with a full tank of fuel. They were so big and so heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I was going to say that's the BMW marketing working absolutely because that's what they're, they're supposed to do. They're supposed to give you that feeling. All of the adventure yeah. bikes are supposed to give you that feeling. I, mean, I think that's yeah. why most of them get sold because we like that that look and the idea. You know, maybe we're not going to travel around the world. Maybe we're not going to, you know, conquer some incredible trail. But just the idea that it's possible, I think that is, it is it's great. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it's a big sturdy steed and you've got faith in it and you feel sort of safe on it, that it's not going to yeah. lay down and, you know, yeah. You mentioned that when you were preparing for this trip, the big deal was that you were having to go solo. You had yeah. another reason as well, but the main one being that you would have to do this trip solo. And and you even mentioned there that, you know, when you were with your, your girlfriends riding, nothing came to your mind as far as, you know, worry that you couldn't handle what are you or what were you thinking of that you couldn't handle? What what would go wrong that would be difficult or impossible to deal with as, as a solo? I think, do you know, I, I, it isn't a... We're going to take just a quick break. I got a couple of things to tell you about. Actually, I got a, a couple of stories I want to tell you as well. When we come back, we get a lot more with Ali. Stay with us. Coming up this August 26th to 28th is Overland Expo Mountain at the ranch in Loveland, Colorado. Overland Expo is the premier Overland event series in the world. No other event offers the scope of classes taught by the world's leading experts along with a a professional level trade show that brings together all the camping and vehicle and motorcycle equipment and services you need to get outfitted, get trained, get inspired and get going. This event on August 26th, 28th, they have on-site rustic camping hosted by the BMW MOA. They've got over 250 exhibitors, over 175 specialized classes, slideshows, demos, and activities. And on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they've got Learn to Ride a Motorcycle with the MIC and Motorcycle Demos. Saturday night, Rider Justice Moto Party and Raffle Dinner with Drinks and Prizes. This thing is an amazing event. I mean, I've heard so many people go on about Overland Expo. They've just done an amazing job with this. August 26th to 28th, Overland Expo Mountain, The Ranch, Loveland, Colorado. The website, overlandexpo.com. You need to buy your tickets online. So go there, buy your tickets, and let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, Overland Expo. I can still remember trying my first Gore-Tex jacket because up until then, my whole life, I dealt with stuffy, clammy, often wet from the condensation inside rain gear. And back then it was all about venting. The best gear was heavy duty to handle the abuse, but it also had vents in it so you could get some airflow. And it kind of worked, but at the time it was the best solution. 
That was until Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex was an amazing experience. The fabric was waterproof, didn't feel clammy, you know the stuff. It was a revelation in outdoor gear. Since then, there's been all kinds of materials that I've seen come out, all kinds of products that have come out, but nothing's really achieved that awe factor of Gore-Tex. That is, until I tried Pearly's Possum Socks. Pearly's Possum Socks did for me what Gore-Tex did back in the day. They changed the playing field, raised the bar by landslide. Cold feet is, is like the worst thing because once your feet get cold, being extremities, they just don't warm up. It's very, very difficult to get them warmed up, warmed up without actually going in somewhere and spending a long time warming them up. And over the years, I've tried all kinds of socks and found some that were pretty darn good. I thought they were great. That was until I tried Pearly's Possum Socks. Pearly's socks are a blend of two fibers. Now, one is already familiar with, merino wool, impressive stuff. But the other I had no reference for, and that was possum fur. Well, they have this blend that is head and shoulders above everything else I've tried. These are serious socks, and they're designed by motorcyclists for motorcyclists. Personally, I think Duke, the owner of Pearly's Possum Socks, is missing out on a huge outdoor segment. But that's okay, because he's focused on us riders, and I love that. These are the warmest socks I've ever tried. And I don't mean uncomfortable warm because I wear these things in my moto boots all summer long. They wick away moisture. They don't stink. They're durable. They're super soft. They cushion my feet. And above all, they keep my feet really, really warm. Like these, these are just amazing. If you don't like cold feet, then you want Pearly's. If you like cold feet, stick with what you've got, I guess. But Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Well, some years ago, before I knew better, I was riding along an old road slash trail, very rough road, sort of an old logging road morphed into a well-used trail type thing. Anyway, it's got sharp rocks, lots of hills, valleys, and mud. It's rough, but it was midsummer. It was fairly dry with good traction. And there's this one section that sort of opens up a bit, allowing for some extra speed, which I was happy to do. And as I crested this hill at a good clip, I suddenly caught a, a, a view of the top section. It was shaded. So I guess the water in that section didn't evaporate because of the shade it was heavily shaded. And the water was all the way across the trail, the whole way. Now, all this is happening very quick, mind you. So with no chance of stopping, I shift my weight to the back and I crack the throttle to take some weight off that front wheel. Well, that front wheel still cut a path in the water and it blew up rather impressively, I thought at first. But at the same time, I guess it's angled just right as it seems to be with the front wheel that it drove into my foot pegs. It was like a power washer, hit my pegs, my boots, and literally blew my feet off the pegs. I was standing until then. Um, it was a hard drop to the seat. My feet flew back. I wasn't seriously hurt. My ego was. I felt silly <laughs> from what had just happened. And that is exactly why adventure riders need quality foot pegs, proper foot pegs that are designed for what we do. Now I ride with IMS foot pegs, which are specifically designed for adventure riders. When I stand up now, my feet never ever slip. I can count on these things 100%. And the great thing about this, a product like this, I think, is you count on it so thoroughly that you forget it's there. It does its job so well that it becomes part of what you do. I think that makes a great product. All IMS products, foot pegs, are designed specifically for the application that they're set out for. They're all made of 17-4 stainless steel. All use a certified heat treating process, all made in the USA, and 
all carry a lifetime warranty. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. What are you or what were you thinking of that you couldn't handle? What, what would go wrong that would be difficult or impossible to deal with as, as a solo? I think, do you know, I, I, it isn't a, on, a, on a personal level in terms of communicating with anybody because I, I, I've got enough confidence in my communication skills to be able to speak to people. I think and it's crazy, and it's, it's, but it's fairly simplistic. I think my biggest fear is dropping my bike. In a situation whereby I'm on my own and I could get in a pickle, not not dropping it from being embarrassed, sort of, you know, it's literally um, the safety aspect. The safety, yeah, from from being somewhere very remote because that is where I will ride. I won't be riding. I don't plan on going into major cities. Um, yes, I I, I I have an interest in cities, but not when I'm riding my bike. They're two completely different things for me. When I'm riding my bike, I don't want to be in a city. That's a different sort of thing. I want to be out in the country, seeing the, seeing the landscape, seeing the countryside, getting up into the mountains, getting the fresh air. So really off the beaten track. And so, um, I mean, I... I haven't ever found myself in a situation where I haven't, I've, I've dropped the bike or anything like that, you know, even on my own or in, in company. But I have had situations sometimes on certain roads where it's got so steep or the camber or something, or it's been really tight to switch back. And I've had to stop because there is no way I'm going to get around that bend or whatever the situation might be or the gravel on the road or what have you. And I've literally had to get myself out of that predicament piecemeal by you know you know small steps literally maneuvering the bike in whatever way and I suppose again I I haven't ever not managed it but because it's such a big thing and I'm going to be so far from home I still think well what happens if I'm on my own in that instance but um I suppose the likelihood of there never being someone really nearby is slight and the other thing is I have got the SOS button on my bike. And if I absolutely got myself in a pickle, I would, I would have to use that if there wasn't, if I had nothing, no other options open to me. These situations where you said before, we had to turn the bike around, physically handle the bike. You, that's what you would do. It would be a lot of, a lot of well, muscle power you're putting into it. Oh yeah. And sometimes it might not even, I might not even be able to get, I mean, I can think of, of, of an instance fairly recently where I ended up going and it, it ended up being a dead end, but I was going up at a gradient and it was really steep. The road went round to the left and there was a slight round to the right, but it was all really, really steep. And I suddenly stopped and thought, I've actually got to turn this bike round now. And, and I really had to think about how I was going to do it because at some stage, whichever way I went, whether I went to the left to do it or to the right to do it, I was not going to be able to touch the floor because mm. of the steepness of the road. Um, and it took me a long time. I, 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 I can't, did I get off in the end? Because, of course, if I get off, I've then got the weight to contend with. And, and even that, getting off is a problem. Uh, yes, you've got to hold the bike then. Yeah. So uh, I suppose it's things like that. And that is where I've had the comfort of riding with the couple of guys in the last 12 months that I've, who, who also have adventure bikes. So for the first, you know, one of the, it was really nice. I got um, sort of like-minded riders who wanted to go up into the hills. I didn't mind going wherever we went, even off-road, on gravel, whatever, because I thought, well, they're with me, so I'm fine. And it's when I'm on my own and I realize my limitations in that situation 
how would I cope? So that that's I don't think I'll ever lose that concern. But um, going back a little bit to what we were saying about how I've always had to be very measured in my riding and looking ahead, I think um, on this trip coming up, I will be far more even more aware, even more aware of the terrain, the roads I'm planning on going down and, you know, having studied the map or looking at the GPS or that sort of thing and done as much prep as I can because I'm on my own. And that's the only reason I would do that. When you're out riding with your friends that you just mentioned there and you didn't care where you rode, no matter what, because you've got someone there, did you stop and and have them turn your bike around or do whatever was needed? Were were there times? there, there was only, there's only one time recently, and it was probably in about March of this year. And uh, I, I, we, I was riding with a guy on a GSA, and we went off down this track that started off looking like just something fairly simple, that then turned into something that, from for, for my for my level of riding on road tires and everything, was like, oh my lord! And this and and for me at that point, I'm sort of stood up on the pegs, and it's getting rougher and rougher. And we were had water and and long stretches of water that going in not knowing what was underneath it and it was getting rougher and rougher and rougher and my problem is is honest when it gets that bad I know that when I stop my problem then will be how do I get going again because um I've got to get make sure I stop where I can put my foot down that there's there's a surface that I can put my foot on uh, and all the rest of it. And I, I know it, I will literally plan it and think to myself, right, that's where I'm going to stop. And then I'm going to stop and then I'm stuck. And that's exactly what happened in this particular instance. Um, it was just getting rougher and rougher and more inappropriate for our bikes. Um, and I just stopped and said to my, my companion, I said, I can't go any farther. That's it, you know. And um, he said, right, so put your size stand down. Let's just weigh this up and we'll sort it out. I'll turn it around for you um it was only a narrow lane so it was sort of quite a lot of effort for him to do that too whilst he we were doing this some little whippersnapper on a little one two five trail bike thing whizzed past us both without a binary leave not to stop are you okay guys and and wiggled his way up this terribly rough road and shot off into the distance and i just thought well that's charming not even stopping to see if we could do with a hand that's that's <laughs> that's not a biker attitude at all now what is it is it is it small bikes or young people i don't know you know <laughs> yeah i don't know I I couldn't believe it. And, and, you know, given that we, what what that guy will have seen that we'd just ridden over, knowing it was actually highly inappropriate for our bikes, because it really was, I I know for a fact that these top Enduro riders would have blasted up there, no problem. But, um, you know, not, not me and at my level and not on those tires, but. um, Well, well, that's what I was going to ask. So, so he, he turned the bike around for you. Mm-hmm. Would you have been able to do it if you were there by yourself, if you really thought about it and put everything into it? I, um, I would have tried. I would have, I would have done absolutely within my means and knowledge to have had a go. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I, I have been doing so much thinking in the last few months, as I'm sure you can probably tell. And one of the conclusions I have come to is that if in 2006, when I retired from the police, I had been as aware on the internet or what what the internet could perhaps uh, educate me on, or if YouTube had been av- available. I don't think there were the sort of um, videos out there then. But if I could see then what I can see now, I would have 
done what a lot of these other people have done and I would have um, rented out my my apartment I got a police pension I would have got the rent from the apartment and I think I would have gone traveling on a motorbike and I think my life would have been completely different if I'd have known then what I know now Mm. no that's sort of our story all, all through life isn't it yeah, you can regret it, but you can't do anything about it. So there's no point yeah. in deliberating on it too much because otherwise you just get depressed. Um, no, definitely. But, but what I was going to ask, so, so that road that you went on where you had to turn around, would you have ridden that down that on your own? And I already know the answer. Well, the, the problem with that, Jim, is that actually, yes, I would. Oh, you would have. In, okay. in the beginning. Don't the yes. <laughs> no, I would because the beginning of it looked absolutely okay. The first 150 yards, 200 yards, looked fine. Then it swung out of view around a right-hander. And it was around the first right-hander that we encountered, I don't know, 25 meters of, of water across the whole of the road. And and it was like, whoa, and just keep going. Now, so if I'd have been on my own, I think I would have stopped before the water and and I'd have started to see ahead that, that it was getting much rougher. I would have stopped and I would have thought, right, I can't go any further. And then I would have started thinking about manoeuvring the bike round. And as long as it hadn't got too too rocky and too, because it was turning into rocks and ruts and all sorts of things. If it was still sort of just basically a flat gravel road, I would have just turned the bike around, yeah. Mm. What would happen if you had dropped the bike at that point? You went to turn around and you dropped the bike and you were alone. Well... So here's another story. Again, I've been watching the techniques on how to pick up bikes. And uh, I know that there are women out there that younger and smaller than me that pick them up. So it occurred to me about four weeks ago that perhaps I should put one of these techniques into practice because I never have. I haven't ever dropped my bike on my own or anything. In fact, I think I've only dropped the GS three times in 16 years. Uh, And one of of those was my son-in-law nudging me at customs and with his pannier and knocking me off, um, <laughs> which I wasn't very happy about, you know. <laughs> um, but he had my stepdaughter on the back at the time, so you know, I couldn't shout too much. And um, and so I thought I need to sort of practice this again pre this trip. I'm thinking, I really, I've seen these women do it. I know it can be done. I've heard that this is how you do it, but I've never tried it. So I rode up to a, a pal of mine's house a male friend of mine and said, right, I want to I want to drop my bike. And he said, what? I said, I want to drop my bike. You're here to help me pick it up, but I want to try and pick it up using the method that I've seen. And so we lay it on his lawn on the grass. And then I went through the, the sitting on the seat and using my legs. And to my absolute amazement, I picked it up. And I was absolutely staggered. I must admit, it wasn't easy. But once you got that first inch going, and I'd kind of watched these girls struggling and knew that that's how it would be. But I did it. And I was really, really chuffed with myself. And sorry, how old are you? Can I ask 64. you? You're 64. <laughs> 64. You're 64. You're 64. What do you weigh? Uh, just under nine stone. Nine stone, which is, I don't know, it's it's not a 14 lot. 14 times nine. So you're like 100 and, you're 130, <laughs> 130 pounds, something like that, 120 pounds? 120, yeah, yeah. Very slight, like very slight. Slight, yes. And yes. you picked up your bike on your own using that technique. I mean, that yes. really speaks to the technique itself. It does, completely, completely. Mm-hmm. My thighs, the burning in the muscles was extraordinary. I couldn't believe I've experienced it in exercise. I've heard about this burning, you know, when you've done exercise, but the burning when I was actually pushing on my legs to get it up was extraordinary, but I did it. And, and as I say, I was so proud of myself, but I thought, well, okay, 
but practice makes perfect. Let's do it again. Not back then, but two weeks later, uh, whilst I was I was around at my brother's, he was fitting something to the bike for me. And so I said, hey, Mike, help me put the bike down. And uh, I want to do this, you see. So we did it again, put the bike down. Jim, this time I didn't get it right. Mm. And two and a half weeks ago when I did this, I didn't get the technique right. I didn't remember to keep pushing my legs and I started to try and lift. And as I was doing that, and my brother said to me, he was about to say, Ali, stop, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. When my back went pop. And I put my back out. This was two and a half weeks ago. And it was very sore. Uh, very sore indeed. And, uh, and I thought, oh, well, that's really brilliant. I'm now four weeks off going away on this trip. And I've just put my back out. Uh, which is a, le- a weak link for me, but... You know, I've always been able to get it sorted in, in over the years. So I went home, I put it on ice, I got I, um, anti-inflammatories and I just kept doing that for a few days and there wasn't much improvement. And then I found my chiropractor and three treatments down the road. I'm almost, almost right again now. Mm. Um, so it's a close call. Uh, I've got some good drugs to take with me. I've got a support belt that I will wear. Um, but what it's what I've taken away from this is that I know what I did wrong. So would I be in a rush to try and pick it up myself again? Not if there was anybody around close by to help me would mm-hmm. be the first answer. If I was in a situation whereby there was nobody and I was literally out on my own somewhere in the back of beyond um, and, and it was not looking very promising, I would probably have a go. But this time I would have the knowledge of knowing that at absolutely no point start trying to lift, only use my legs because I know the consequences otherwise. Yeah. But I think I'd be very, very hesitant to do it now, given that my back is now in a bit of a, 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 a yeah, it's a tender stage. It's still healing right now, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. I've yeah, and, and and why bother? Because what what I was going to say is that there will be somebody who'll come along. I mean, think of you know, go back to Ted Simon's book, right? You know, when a breakdown happens, you sit and you yes. wait to see what adventure I'm going to have next, and that's what would happen with you. I mean, you know, someone's going to come upon you. Maybe that young rider on the on the small motorcycle, because if you were by yourself and standing there with your bike flopped over, that is a obvious sign that hey, something's going on here, and very likely that would have been the story right there. You know, that would have happened. And the other yeah. thing I was just going to, just going to mention to you is that that's one of the, the sort of the, um, doing the wrong technique is one of the things that advocates say for, for getting proper training. You know, Absolutely. Because, because if you get proper training, that's what you avoid, right? You avoid yes. thinking, Oh, I think I've got this thing down and then making mistakes because, and a lot of times that's what they already did. They already spent, you know, their 20 years making their mistakes, getting hurt and yes. then finding the right ways, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, yes. I, I'm just pitching the, you know, the, the get a lesson sort of thing. Yeah. Oh no, I would love, I would love to. And, and I do intend to, I do intend to, because I would enjoy it apart from anything else. I mm-hmm. mean, I would really, really enjoy it, especially if I came out of it with an increase in confidence in turn. I can't master that nice or really tasty U-turn in a road. I just can't master it, you know, where you roll over the tire and just get round in one piece. I just have this fear of the bike just going at a certain point and me not getting the throttle on, not getting the turn in and the power on and me dropping the bike. And I just can't get round that. But boy, I would love to. Haven't. It's not that you can't, no, you just haven't yet. I haven't. No, yeah. I haven't. Yeah. But you, you mm. did some other things here. So so to um to deal with the fact that you're riding solo. 
what other things did you do? Um, so, yeah, so as a result, again, of the benefit of the internet and all the information out there, um, I also considered what would be the most sensible things I could do to to make this a safer trip for me. And uh, I'm not a, a social media person. I, I don't care for it. It's not me. But I know that there is uh, advantages to to these groups. And so I have a Facebook account. So I have joined some of these groups for adventure riders, BMW riders, uh, Horizons Unlimited, obviously, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, because I know that there is a huge community out there. And ultimately, I know that any of them would, and I include myself in this, if you ever saw a post of somebody in a pickle and you were nearby, you'd be there like a shot to help them yeah. because that's how we are as, as a community, a biking community, and you wouldn't think twice. So I I joined a few of these uh, adventure rider groups, sort of, uh, say, BMW, GS Riders UK, and then some of the further field ones. And and having been watching some of these posts recently, you know, there are, there are people riding abroad constantly um, and they're posting and their trips and all the rest of it. So they are out there and I know that there is a support, support mechanism out there for me should I need it. So that was one, um, one thing I did. And then uh, another thing I did, a former colleague of mine nudged me in this direction. I hadn't actually thought of it, but we have a, uh, an association called the International Police Association and it is worldwide and there are literally hundreds of thousands of members in so many countries across the whole of the globe. And they said, join the IPA. Ali, join the IPA. You've got immediate contact then with uh, current and serving and former police officers um, who would also step up if you were in a predicament. And I thought, you know what? You're absolutely right. So I joined the IPA. So that's another level of... Um, security, I feel, I've given myself that bolsters my confidence a little bit. So there's that. And then there's the Facebook. And then I know the other crazy thing is the SOS button on my bike, which I mentioned before. That is that is that is nice to know I've got as well. When you say SOS button on your bike, are you talking about like a spot device or in reach? Or yes. No, I've heard. I've heard um, you and, and American contributors talk about this spot device. It's something I'm unfamiliar with, but I gather it's like a, is it like a GPS device that sends out a signal? Yeah, it, it uses GPS signals to get your, your location, then uses satellites to yes. transmit that location yes. and the fact that it's an emergency to a processing yes. center. So, so, so BMW, they have this, it's something that you can have as an extra on, on it's, it's in cars as well, um, but uh, also on your bikes. So, um if you're if if I had a, an accident, for example, and the bike went down, it detects it detects it's gone down, and uh, if there's no sort of uh, movement or, or reaction or the engine isn't killed or something within a short space of time, you will get through your intercom if you've got it in your helmet. Hello there, are you okay? Because that oh, wow. that that you having gone down is gone through all these satellites and things, and as you say, they can pinpoint your exact location. Um, now, looking at some of the forums, I've seen a few posts reporting a varying degree of success on on this, but I'm not exactly sure what they're basing it on because they've not said that they've gone down and they've had an accident and it hasn't worked. So. I don't know how they can call that, but I have seen posts of someone who has said, who who actually was oblivious, he was riding a test bike and he actually had an off and ended up in a ditch and didn't even know he'd got this SOS thing. 
And to his amazement, while he was scrabbling around unhurt, thankfully, in this ditch, he suddenly heard in his helmet, hello, hello, sir, are you okay or whatever, you know, and he said, and it was the SOS speaking to him. So, so um, there is this, this facility and um, um, if, you know, it's if, 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 say, I drop my bike after so many seconds, if you don't disable this thing, it will then alert them. So, like, if you did drop your bike just as a regular drop, you press and hold it and it disables it. But if you don't, it would then alert them and, and what have you. So, again, having the knowledge of that is 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 gives me confidence that, you know, I, I shouldn't ever really get myself in a situation that... Um, could cause me problems. And and you'll notice that all of these things really are me talking about having a mishap with my bike as opposed to having a confrontational situation with 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 other people. Have you picked up on that? I have. Isn't it strange? Because that actually doesn't make I don't think twice about that. Is that because I was a police officer for 30 years? Well, that's what I was wondering. And and then and I was curious when we started talking is is what your fears were. That's where I was going with this and through part of it. And it's it is notable that you you didn't come up with that and and if you did i was going to be curious as to why because i thought being a police officer and dealing with i don't know what you've dealt with obviously but you must have dealt with all kinds of things mm. and and been around all kinds of things and and been talking about all kinds of things that happened being in the police force that maybe you would be a little bit more hardened to that sort of uh, I, possibly and 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 maybe more confident that i could talk my way out or i can read a situation perhaps better maybe body language Mm-hmm. because I've had contact so you know how to if if you found yourself in that situation how you might react to it but to be perfectly honest I again because I feel that I'm going to be I have no intention of going into any cities or any main towns or anything like that. you know I really want to be rural about this um my expectation and previous um experience of riding abroad and being in these sort of countries is that you know, I haven't encountered this sort of any sort of behavior that would ever I would be challenged by. You know, people are just nice people in the main. You know, the, the horrible people are a minority at the end of the day, aren't they? That's funny to hear a police officer say that. <laughs> people are just nice people. It's just, you know, the minority. I mean, because you could so easily be tainted from your point of view seeing what you what you've seen but so that that is is very notable that you what you're saying is um that you're not concerned about that and you are concerned about the bike so the fear that big fear of going on this trip that you had to overcome of this really if you think about it i mean what's the worst that can happen your bike falls over on a turnaround on some some dead end road and mm. you walk away to get help yes, i mean it's yes. It, it almost, yeah. I mean, like if you were scared of people, I get that. I mean, I, I totally get that. And, and if you're afraid of dealing with language, you know, I can understand that. If you're afraid of border crossings, yeah, I, I can understand that as well. But to me, in, in my thought process, the thing that you're worried about is, is almost the easiest, most solvable mm. problem. Mm-hmm. You should have no fears. I know. I, I'm, I'm listening to you. I hear what you're saying. I think, um, I think communication skills, which you've had, you have to have when you're in the force, clearly h- helps me. So I don't doubt how I can communicate with people, and I, I, um, with age comes experience and feminine wiles, and you know how to use them and be charming and get yourself out of maybe a situation, you know, and diffuse the situation. Um, but how often do you come across that? Not that often. No. Not that often. And you just have to you just have to wise up and just be a little bit canny about these things should they present themselves. But again, I I, I haven't really thought about that. 
uh, incidentally, I've never had to encounter a border crossing. So Lord knows, other than as a child, by the way, pre uh, the UK going into Europe. And then, of course, as a child with the touring caravan on the back, we used to go through all these little border crossings and we'd change our coins from francs to Swiss this or whatever they were. But um, of course, that doesn't happen anymore. So I listened to your contributors telling me about their experiences of border crossings, some of which sound that range from just horrendous to nothing short of amazing. And I do think that if, I shouldn't say if, I, should, I shouldn't say if, but I will say if, if this, this is the success that I think this trip will be for me and um, I, I know that next year I will want to start going further east. I feel that I will want to, and you mentioned something before about language. Um, language doesn't, I'm not too concerned about language because uh, I do speak a little German. I do speak a little French. I can certainly get by on that. The the Czech languages, the Slovenia languages, any language that sounds like those will completely uh, baffle me. I don't even know how to pronounce the words when I read them. Some countries, they pronounce the J, some, some of the J's are silent, and I can't remember which is which. So I'm just very happy that in this day and age of technology, we have these apps and these translator apps. I mean, I want to try, you know, I want to try and make sure I can say, please, hello, thank you, goodbyes, in wherever I go, and I will do my utmost to try and learn to do that. But again, with age, and dare I use the word menopause, um, the female brain, uh, diminishes in ways that you guys will never understand. And retentive memory is is one of mine real issues. And I have tried to learn Spanish and I can't. I can scarcely retain anything. I can call upon my German that I learned when I was 16 and my French and I can pull it back now. But new stuff, I cannot, I cannot hold it. So that's so since Just menopause, you, 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 you've lost the ability to, to learn new languages. Yes, that's, that's yes. Uh, and, and, and Jim, so just to make, make it even worse, I have been going through this since 2007, 2008. Yeah, it's, it's, I, so it's, crazy. it's a bummer. It's, it's a bummer. And it's funny because people don't talk about it very much. You, you don't hear many people talk about it. It's almost it's another one of those, no, those taboo, taboo topics, yeah. right? But it, it, it affects you for so long and affects so much in your life. For one, I, I'm so glad I'm not a woman, I tell you. You really sound am. like a man who knows about it. I well do know done, about you. It. Yep. And, um, uh, well, that's really nice to know because in the UK, it is now getting more press. It is now, it's out there, it's discussed. Um, there are stronger women that are, are making it become a topic of conversation because actually it's real. It's not pretend. I'm just going to say that it's real. And that's the thing is I think a lot of times for males, because you don't experience it, it's, it's almost like, you know, if you've never hurt your back, people say they hurt mm. their back, you sort of roll your eyes and go, come on, how bad can it hurt? When you hurt yeah. your back, you know how bad it hurts. But unless you've dealt with menopause and the, and the effects of it, you have no idea how serious and how real uh, yeah. it is that it, that it affects be. everyday life. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. And it's, I think the difficulty is also, it's not, it, it, the women can be broken up into three groups. One that never really have any bad experiences. The next group will have some that are a bit unpleasant, but after two or three years they go. And then the third group, it can affect them for the rest of their days. So even you get some women who are unsympathetic to oh, women who are struggling. Yeah. And they also say, oh, what are they going on about? I've been through that. It's nothing. And oh, you think, right. yeah, but there's different degrees to it. And it's, we're not all the same, you know. 
So, yeah. So, and I guess this is, this also affects, this is another thing that, cause you said it, you know, ages affects your confidence in that, that, um, I forget exactly how you said it, but you were, you were saying about when you were younger, the, oh, the verve, bravery and determination yeah. that you have yeah. when you're younger. And that when it's, when it's something like, it's not only aging, but when it was like menopause affecting the brain, I mean, these are things that you just don't have any control over. Exactly. And I, I haven't introduced using the word menopause before because I know that some men will just like, oh, here we go. But um, <laughs> clearly you've got a, a, a good understanding of it. But that is also an element of where my doubt feeds in as well, you know, because I think it, it takes things away from you that you, you don't realise. So for sure, probably part of, of my doubts um, have come from that. But as I say, take credit for being able to bolster me back up to where I am today, looking forward to going on this trip in six days time. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, well, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, because you had trouble with was insurance. And I understand that um, Sam Manicom was also saying that he had trouble with um, insurance going to uh, the States this year. Uh, insurance companies seem to be changing the way they're operating. What, what's your experience? Well, it, um, again, because I've been looking at the forums, trying to find out the, the information on this and, and you know, Horizons Unlimited, they, there were some links and recommendations, but a lot of them tend to be US-based, so they, they kind of aren't available to us anyway. So I was finding it quite hard to find. You get some people making a recommendation for this, this and this, but actually I don't think they delve deeply enough into it because if they did read the small print, um, it was it was only covering a one, two, five bike or you couldn't. Yeah. There were lots of restrictions. Um, and then a pal of mine who I was actually on the police motorcycles with way back in the 80s, who has a place in South Africa as well as over in the UK and does lots of touring, he pointed me the direction of this insurance company that he used. And uh, they, for me, turned out to be where I went. But again, I'm only riding in Europe. I don't know how it would, because I didn't have any plans to go further afield i don't know whether that particular company would have been any use but as it was they would cover me um i couldn't do any enduro riding not that a i have the skill or b i had any intention of but um you can go gravel roads and stuff like that you know that their, their their definition you said no off-roading isn't covered but the definition of that is enduro if you want to go on gravel roads and i'm hope and they basically said a road that will take you from a to b that other traffic could use is fine if it isn't made up of tarmac that's fine you know what we're talking about is going up enduro type riding and mm. they won't cover you for that unless it's specific specifically mentioned and it's with a, a tour group or something like that and for no longer than seven days but that was only oh, that wow. specific company I was looking at but they do seem to be I think a lot of I think a lot of um, UK riders going abroad tend to um, not bother with this side of, of the insurance paying. I think they think, well, my bike's insured for, for European cover uh, and we've got the EHIC card, the European Health Card, or it's changed the name slightly. But actually, if you had something far more serious, um, and I would rather be overprotected than underprotected, you've got to think about the bigger picture. And that is also something I haven't mentioned, which you might have thought about, but I haven't mentioned having any fears about having a, a serious accident. Um, and that impacting on me whilst I'm away. Um, I suppose, one, I choose not to think about that because I don't want to. And then the other the other thing is I think, well, if I've ridden for 40 years and not had that happen to me, um, perhaps that's not just good luck, but maybe good management too. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, your own riding and your own intuition and stuff like that can take quite a, a lot of situations away from you. There's another rider might get into a pickle with. And I don't know, I, I probably shouldn't say that's probably the kiss of death, but who knows? Um, it, isn't, it isn't something I've dwelt on. And perhaps that's a good thing. Perhaps that's a good thing. Well, I mean, luck, it certainly has, you know, luck, if you want to call that, or happenstance, you know, certainly has a play in it. There's no doubt about it. Of course. But I mean, you know, we had a woman named Vonnie Glaves on the show sometime back, years back now. But she, at that point, had um, done more than a million miles. Never one accident in her million miles. She's obviously an excellent rider, you know, very aware. And she talked about what she does. As a matter of fact, I, I remember her saying that her big thing was, is to keep a space around you. That was her big yes. thing. And I remember that yes. from driving school to always keep a space around you, which a lot of people don't do. As a matter of fact, I would say very few do nowadays, certainly in where, where I drive and ride. The, the, the space thing, I mean, it's gone. I mean, if there's another coat of paint on your bumper, they're going to be rubbing up against you sort of thing. But the space was very important to her, to Vani. She yes. said that that was important for, for her safety. I would agree with that. And yeah. I, I think I do do that as a matter of course as well. You keep yourself outside because then you can see what's going on and you hold back as well. You know, and that's something that the police teach you to get the bigger picture. And um, so, yes, keep away from people. Let it all happen in front of you. And then you can react. You've got time to react and stuff like that. So that's very true. Mm-hmm. But the insurance side of things, you what having so having just said that about not thinking about an accident, clearly I have because I've also thought, actually, if I do, I want to make sure I can be repatriated or if it's something really bad, I want to be able to be in, in a hospital, you know, and get the treatment I need. And that's why I, I've paid extra to have this additional insurance. But I do think a lot of riders don't. You know, I, I think a, a lot of the Brits are perhaps guilty of being a little bit blasé or maybe even a little bit ignorant about it, just not not really thinking about it, you know. But but, but isn't this also part of taking responsibility for yourself? Because yeah. when you have a problem, if you had a problem, when you're out traveling somewhere, you could say, well, I will just deal with it. But the fact of the matter is... It's probably going to be family first, friends, and then maybe the the greater world that's going to have to deal with your problem because you didn't prepare for it. Yes, absolutely, and and I think um, uh, I've all, I've always been. Um, a bit of a stickler for stuff being absolutely right and having all the right documentation and having all the phone numbers to hand. I have even in advance of this trip sorted out my wills, my power of attorney for my health and welfare and everything. I've registered them so that if something happens to me, my stepdaughter and my sister have a voice over what happens to me. Uh, And a lot of people wouldn't have even think about doing that, but I have because it takes the pain away. If, if, If something happened... And, oh, the, 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 you know, all the, they, they wouldn't be able to do anything, but because they've got power of attorney and it's registered and it's good to go, they can. It's so, yeah, it's done. And, and I don't think that's, that's, I don't think that's a new, I think that's just being responsible, but that's just how I am, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to be. Um, so before I let you go here, where are you going? What, what where is this trip going to take you? Um, I, I'm going to start out in in Holland from the ferry there, and then I'm going to head east into Germany, eastern Germany, but t- taking me over towards Czech Republic, um, n- a country I've never been to, so that, that'll be nice to see what that's like. And then I'll be dropping down into Austria. I'm always going to be heading for the mountains as high as I can because that's what I like. Um, and from Austria to Slovenia to Croatia, uh, and then from there I'll be heading back up into Italy 
definitely do a little bit of Switzerland. And I may go into France to come home, but then equally I may go back into Germany, swing round by Luxembourg, Belgium, and then back to Dover. And then I'm going to get the Euro train home. And how long are you going to be out? 60 days. So when all's said and done, you come back after this this two months trip, how do you know if it's a success? Because you, you said a while ago that if it is a success, how do you know if it is? Because let me just say before you answer that, that... Many of the stories we've heard on this show are people saying about they did this trip and this went wrong and it was the most amazing experience they ever had. I, I mean, I, I just one pops in my head. I think of Michelle Lampfair who who broke her leg on an adventure. Oh gosh, had yes, I the, heard that. Yeah, the most incredible time though, yeah. meeting people and and the hospitality and the experience she had. I would be surprised if she would pass it up, <laughs> you know, to do it again. Yeah. probably less the pain. So, how do you know if it is a success? So, Okay, so do you know what? The only the only interpretation you need to put on if is if I don't kill myself by having some mishap, it's going to be a success. Other than that, it will be a success because I know I'm going to absolutely enjoy this so much, more than I could have anticipated because I have completely sort of got myself into the zone. I've reminded myself of who I am how I ride, what I've done, what I'm capable of. I've got a tongue in my head. I can communicate with people. I'm moderately intelligent. What can go wrong? Ellie, it was great to sit and talk with you. I thank you very much for your time and and leave Alison at home. (laughs) Yes, thank you for that. And it's been lovely to speak to you too, having listened to your dulcet tones for so long on the radio. Lovely to speak. was Ali Peverty from her home in the UK as she gets ready for her first solo trip. Now we've got a number of photos of uh, Ali on her bike as a cop and more in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to Elizabeth Martin, our producer, and you of course, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, we'd love to have your support for the show. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your pannier, your toolbox, and anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our other show, Raw. And we'd love to have you consider the patron option, which means you'd be there for us every month. That'd be very cool if you did that. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike. Oh, the other thing you could do is, and and I've asked this before, I know, but repetition is the mother of learning, so I'm told, (laughs) is uh, give us a five-star review at iTunes because that helps other people find the show. 
we'd really appreciate it if you'd um, if you'd give us a review. Anyway, thanks for that and time to get out there and ride that bike if you can. Really, I mean, if, if you're somewhere where you get summer and you can't ride the winter, don't waste the time. Find the time, get on the bike and ride because life is short. I'm Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. This is Lois Price of Lois on the Loose, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.